Let us pray. Lord, now may the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're currently in week number five of this series called Start Here. We've been talking about how to reboot our lives or reset our lives, how to create a new life or a new beginning. And the good news is that you can always do that. After all, God is not only the God of second chances, but as some of you have found out, even if I have, uh, he's also the God of second chances and third chances and 15th and 43rd and 128th and on and on. And sometimes we just need to do it over and over again until we finally get it right. By way of uh, refreshing your memory, let me just take you back where we've been. In week number one, uh, we talked about our need to cast our net again and again and again because eventually God will fill it to overflowing. In uh, the second week, uh, we saw that you need to close the door on the past. Stop looking behind you. Focus on what lies ahead. As Philippians says, I keep on pressing forward to that prize which is in heaven. You know, keep pressing on. Don't look back. In week number three, we talked about what really matters in life. And we said what really matters in life is this. Love first, serve second. In week number four, we uh, talked about dealing with spiritual warfare, dealing with temptation. And suggested that when we are tempted to compromise our lives, we need to ask ourselves, what do I really need? What do I really want? What do I really believe? And that gives you the opportunity at that point to say, hey, hey God is all I need. God is all I want. Uh, so I'm going to put all of my trust in God. Now, today we're going to take a look at another principle that's essential to building a new life. It comes from Luke chapter 9. And Jesus had just finished uh, feeding the 5,000, and he asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Now, Peter just blurts right out, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And um, Jesus said, basically, don't tell anyone yet. Partly because his ministry that he had in mind it wasn't quite ready. And then he told them that he was going to have to suffer many things. In fact, let, let me read you uh, from it, part of this from Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 21. It said, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the laws. And he must be killed. And on the third day, he must be raised to life. Now, Jesus uses that word must uh, several times. Uh, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must ki- be killed, I must be raised. And he's going to say one more must for us in today's text when we get to it. Now, I'm not sure always that the disciples fully understood what Jesus was talking about. In fact, I think there were a lot of times the disciples walked away and probably said, what was that all about? Because Jesus often talked in parables, he often spoke in metaphors and allegories. Uh, And I think partly because they also believed that somehow the the Messiah was going to be some sort of a conquering Messiah, you know, a Rambo on a white horse or Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of character like that. It was kind of difficult for them to wrap their heads around the idea that God's chosen one uh, must suffer, must be rejected, must be killed. They just didn't like that. Now, of course, after the fact, you know, here we sit in 2014, we see as plain and day 
plain as day in the Old Testament that the Messiah would give his life as a sacrifice, especially if you go back and read Isaiah chapter 53. But remember, the disciples did not have all the pieces of the puzzle that you and I have today, so they hadn't quite put all of this together. They weren't quite clear about what was going to take place. But it's in these next verses that Jesus explains to his disciples in very plain language what it means to be his followers, and he adds another must. He says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Now, you would not need to listen to me very long to recognize that there's probably some reoccurring themes in most of my messages. I mean, things like how Jesus came that we might not only have life, but that we'd have abundant life. Or that God wants us to live in victory. Uh, or that sin should not be your master. Or that Jesus made you to be more than conquerors, uh, because that's the life God designed you for. In fact, back in the book of Psalms, it says, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Now, I've actually had people say and think, you know, that passage makes it sound like winning the lottery. You know, wow, delight in the Lord, he's going to give me everything I want. Uh, that's going to put me on easy street. But I, I think most of us know that that's not the way it works, because although every promise in the Bible is true, I mean, God does want each and every one of us to have a great life. Uh, and I've seen it happen too many times uh, to believe otherwise, but there is always a process in this life, a very important process, by the way, that you sometimes don't hear uh, when you listen to the name it and claim it prosperity preachers that are on television. And I tell you that it's not just that God wants to give you a good life. God wants to give you a great life. But, you know, whenever I see these words victory or I hear the phrase we are more than conquerors, it always implies that there are some battles to face along the line. To gain victory, you're going to have to fight a few fights. To be a conqueror, you're going to have to fight a few fights. Now, one of my favorite Christian authors is a man by the name of Watchman Nee. I don't know if you ever read anything by him. But Watchman Nee had this to say about it. He says, God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. This is surely rather a peculiar way of victory, you say, but it is the divine way. God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening our old man, but by crucifying him, not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. Now, Watchman Nee is talking about a principle that we're going to look at today, and the principle is very simply called dying to self. That's one of the reasons I really have a tremendous dislike for self-help books. I'm not sure that any word that begins with self is a good word. In fact, rather than to say self-help, we ought to take that word out and put in God help or Christ help. Not self-awareness, but Christ awareness. 
I mean, think of any word that starts with stop and plug in the word Jesus and see if it doesn't work better. So if you want to make a new beginning, if you want to create a new life, uh, you can do it, but you need to know that the greatest life always comes with a price. I mean, for example, a great marriage comes with a price. A great family comes with a price. Success in any field of endeavor, I don't care what you choose, comes with a price. And, and if you if you pay that price, you're going to experience uh, your best possible life. And today I want to talk a little bit about that price and just share three things with you. The first of these is this, is that your best possible life is experienced when you deny yourself and follow Christ with reckless abandon. I remember a number of years ago, I think it was the Newsboys, they had this song, it was called Jesus Freak. And they had a book that went along with it. I remember sitting reading it one time at a basketball game. And a guy turned around and says, what are you reading? And I said, I was reading Jesus Freak. He says, oh, are you one of those? <laughs> and I said, you betcha. I don't mind. I've been called a lot of names in my life. In fact, I've been called a Jesus Freak more than once. I don't mind that. Uh, Jesus himself said in verse 23, if anyone would come after me... He must deny himself, so much for yourself there, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Heard that name before, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian. Actually, he was a Lutheran theologian uh, whose ministry began to take off in the late 1930s. Uh, By this time in Germany where he lived, Hitler had... Uh, Risen to power, had begun to manipulate the minds of the German people in order to change the values and direction of the nation. Actually, when I wrote that phrase, it kind of reminded me of today in a way, uh, manipulating people to change values and direction. Uh, But that's a whole other subject. Uh, Bonhoeffer was outspoken, however, in his criticism of the Nazi regime. And one time during a radio broadcast to all of Germany, he was calling on the German people to finally take a stand for what is right against the growing force of oppression, and the transmission was cut off mid-sentence by the authorities. Now, Bonhoeffer at this time had been a guest lecturer at a theological seminary back in New York. He was given the opportunity to come back to the States, teach as a prominent member of the faculty, and you think, what a great opportunity for a guy to actually get out of Nazi Germany in its nation's darkest hour, He could have had a very easy life in New York City, a comfortable life in academia. But Bonhoeffer turned it down and said, in effect, I have a greater calling and a greater responsibility. My life is not about what's best for me. My place is here with the German people. In fact, his exact words were, I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. Now, taking that story a little bit further, uh, for he was forbidden by the Gestapo to preach in public, and so he spent many years traveling in secret from one German village to another German village, doing what he called uh, seminary on the run. Uh, he was providing uh, training for every courageous pastor who still chose to preach, uh, and he was still serving illegally in these tiny little churches. But finally, in 1943... Uh, He was arrested, he was placed in the concentration camp, he was sentenced to death, and he was executed on April the 8th, 1945, just a few weeks before World War II ended. Now, one of his closest friends, a physician who witnessed 
Bonhoeffer's execution said that he watched Bonhoeffer praying alone in his final hours, and he wrote, I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. In the almost 50 years that I had worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Now, many, late, many years later, uh, many years before all of this happened, uh, Bonhoeffer wrote a book, and it, it's a Christian classic. And if you've never read this, uh, you, you really should. It's called the, Co- the Cost of Discipleship. A wonderful book. And, and in it, it has a phrase that almost proved to be prophetic. He said, when Christ calls a man, or when Christ calls a woman, when Christ calls anyone, he bids him come and die. Now, he didn't just write those words in some ivory tower somewhere. He lived those words out in a prison cell. Now, here's the truth I, I, I want you to pick up today, and that's what, when Christ calls you, when, when you've answered the call of Jesus in your life, his, his call is that you come and you die. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about dying a physical death. I'm talking about dying to everything that stands between you and a heart completely sold out to Jesus. Now, you can, don't have to raise your hand, don't have to talk out loud, but have you sold out completely to Jesus? Or are you still hedging your bets? Now, I think we all go through life with hopes and plans and dreams and ambitions, and these things can be actually become toxic when they begin to take first place in your life. I'll be, I'll be honest with you as a pastor. Being a pastor can sometimes be more important than being completely sold out to Jesus because you can get so caught up with all of the administrivia or all the little itty-bitty things. When I retired over a year ago, I actually said something that sounded kind of funny to some people. I said, I'm not retiring from the ministry. I'm just retiring from being a pastor. Because sometimes being the pastor got in the way of doing ministry. Now, that's not to say that pastors can't be involved in ministry, but sometimes it's a little bit easier if you can focus your attention on honestly doing what God has called you to do. See, put this another way. First place in your life belongs to Jesus. Now, in our system here in America, we've always got a top 10, a top 25, if you're watching college football, the final four in the big playoffs, whatever. But when Jesus says he's first place, guess what? There's no other places below it. I mean, if Jesus is not number one, Jesus is nowhere. Jesus, you can't go up. Well, Jesus is not necessarily one. He's number six. No, Jesus is not one. There is nothing else. You can be sure of this. Before you can experience greatness in this life, you're going to be called upon to say no to yourself many times over. Now, now, here's the point that I'm getting to. In, in order to, for this new beginning to take permanent hold in your life, you need to be willing to say, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Now, I'll tell you, if, you're, if your attitude, friends, is I have all of these dreams and they belong to me, and if God wants to participate in helping me live the life I want, I'll be happy to take him along for the ride it's not going to be a pleasant journey. In fact, somebody told me one time, uh, a journey through life would be a whole lot better is if you would let God drive the car 
and you sit in the passenger seat. Or better yet, in the back seat and keep, your, keep to yourself. See, when people live for themselves and leave God out of the equation, they may achieve some of their dreams, but it always turns out to be empty victories because they lose themselves in the process. Now, Jesus referred to it today when he said, you could gain the whole world and what? You could forfeit one's self. Or you could gain the whole world and lose your soul. I don't know whether you've ever met anybody who's accumulated a vast amount of external success, but their life was basically empty. I don't watch reality shows because to me it's not reality. But I see a lot of people just flipping channels and I see parts of reality shows where people have accumulated an awful lot of money. They're millionaires. And what I can see of their life is like a total shambles. It is so empty. It's so hollow. And maybe you know people who have about every imaginable possession there is in life, but their kids still have absolutely nothing to do with them. See, the way to avoid that form of tragedy is to decide up front, God, I let go of everything that I think that I want and I surrender it to you. I no longer am going to be center of my universe you are. And that's really where the best possible life begins. Now, here's the second thing. Your best possible life is lived out one day at a time. Now, that's, there's, a, there's a similar version of this quote by Jesus in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 16:24. But in this version I read to you today, Luke includes one more word that packs an extra punch, and the word is daily, daily. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, when Jesus was picking up, talking about picking up the cross, everybody who heard him say that knew exactly what he meant. Even though he spoke these words before he ever died on a cross in Calvary, they had probably all at one time or another in their life seen a condemned man being paraded naked through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying a cross beam on his shoulders on their way outside the city gates, to face their execution. And Jesus said to them, we need to do that daily. I mean, you don't coast through life based solely on a sinner's prayer that you said one time uh, years ago in a moment of surrender uh, to the Lordship of Jesus the Christ. That's only where it begins. Every day thereafter, it's our job to go back to that point of surrender. One of my other favorite Christian authors is C.S. Lewis. And this is a quote taken from one of his letters. He said, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the days rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, all day. See, what C.S. Lewis is really talking about, again, is dying to self. And you've got to do this daily. It's kind of like the pianist Andre Previn said, if I miss a day of practice, I know it. If two days I skip practice, my manager knows it, and if I miss three days, my audience knows it. I think the very same thing can be said about 
uh, dying to one's self. If you start skipping days here or there, dying to yourself, uh, skipping days where you say, I'm going to leave the cross sit in the corner, I'll pick it up in a couple of days, you know, maybe nobody will notice it at first. But eventually it will catch up and you'll know. And eventually your life will begin to unravel and eventually other people will take notice. So your best life must be lived one day at a time and the same rules apply for each and every day. Anybody ever been on a diet? You know, some diets allow for a cheat day. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that means. It's like I, I, I eat nothing but roots and grass for six days and on seven days I can gorge myself like a, a feeder hog. <laughs> but I, yeah, I got to tell you, friends, there are no cheat days in the surrendered life. We need to take up our cross every day. That means every day you say, not my will, but yours be done. Here's the third thing. When, you, when, when your best possible life doesn't follow your plan... It often follows a better plan. So when your plans get derailed, it doesn't mean that you now have to settle for less. It means that ultimately you're probably going to be on receiving or something better or greater or something of eternal value. Go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer for a moment. His death in the concentration camp was certainly a tragedy, but it, you know something? It gave him an international platform so that his writings would influence theological thought now going on 70 years, in fact, uh, they've had a book published about him in the last couple of years. That I would say, go ahead and read that one, too. That one's really great. But see, if you, if you spend your life grasping for everything you want because it's what I want, and what I want is what matters most, it'll eventually all slip through your fingers. But if you spend your time submitted to the life, the will of God, your life will become something greater than you ever could have imagined. You know, I think about this myself. Um, I've often referred to myself as just some dumb kid from Nebraska. I mean, that, that's really who I kind of view myself. Raised by my grandparents in a little town in Nebraska, I, I'm never really quite sure what I ever thought, whether I'd end up Farming or whatever, I guess, had not been for a tornado, I might be farming out in Staplehurst, Nebraska today, hoping to retire. So I'm not sure. But somewhere along the line, I kind of crossed the line where I said, I really want to do something to serve the Lord. And I really wasn't quite sure exactly what it was, although I kind of stumbled out of college and ended up teaching. And I always kind of wondered whether I'd eventually become a pastor or whatever. And it took a while, but I finally did. And over the years, I always look back and I think everything didn't work out the way that I would have liked to have seen it. But by golly, life's turned out pretty good. I remember sitting on a platform in Port Harcourt, Nigeria, about to speak to somewhere between 250 to 300,000 Nigerians one night. And I'm thinking, oh, man, God, what a sense of humor you've got. You've got some dumb kid from Nebraska sitting up here wondering what he's going to possibly say to over a quarter million black people. But God takes something that maybe you thought was going to be a good idea, doesn't work out, but turns out to be an even better idea. 
That's how Jesus said in verse 24, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. It comes down to being able to say to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Now, a lot of people talk about turning over a new leaf, but really uh, what we're talking about here is turning over a whole new life. Uh, Like Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man or a woman or a child, he bids them to come and die. Now, a new leaf doesn't stay new very long. I mean, we can all see that happening right now. It begins to turn brown, and then it gets brittle, then it crumbles, and it falls, and it gets mulched and disappears. But, you know, a new life lasts forever, and that's what God is calling you to. He wants you to have a life abundant, a life of victory, and a life of overcoming faith. Now, the question is, how do you get there? Well, it goes back to the title of today's message. You need to get buried. You die to everything that you think you want and instead surrender yourself to him completely. This is a text that I've used on several occasions at funerals. And I think it fits. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Friends, when you are willing to die to yourself and live for God, God can produce many great things through you. I mean, this is how you begin to live your best possible life. You wake up every morning and you proclaim, not my will, but yours be done. May God continue to bless us on this journey.